want to talk today a little bit about karma. And um, of course, after I share what I've got in my mind, I, I'm happy to open it up to whatever you want to talk about. But um, karma is interesting because there are actually some ways that we use that word and think about the... Um, the whole idea of karma that are different from what the Buddha taught. And one, one part of it is that um, we may think like, um, oh yeah, things didn't go quite as expected this morning. So maybe that's my karma, um, but that's unlikely. It's just that there are, uh, all kinds of reasons for things to go the way we want them to, or the way we don't want them to, or however. Um, sometimes when we, I'm maybe not any of you here, but particularly in um, maybe Asian countries, um, there can be this idea or in some branches of Buddhism that everything is caused by karma or past actions. But the Buddha actually said that that's not the case. He, he made a specific list and I won't go through the whole thing, but one of the items on the list is illness. He said that illness comes, it's not because you did anything wrong uh, or, or, you know, it doesn't re arise generally from past actions. It's just part of, well, really is part of just being born into a human body or a body at all. There's going to be illness, aging, and death. And <clears throat> those things are maybe some about some things about the way they go might have a little bit to do with karma. I mean, we can identify that. You know, there are certain kinds of behaviors that we may have that might increase our risk of certain kinds of illnesses and that kind of thing. But in general, it's not because we um, had some bad action in the past. Also, assault is another one. I remember one time uh, <clears throat> someone told me that their daughter was assaulted and they didn't want her to listen to Buddhist talks because they didn't want her to hear that that was probably because of something she did in the past. But the Buddha actually said that assault can happen to anyone. It doesn't mean that you did something in the past to bring that on. Uh, that actually you're just maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, not a not something that's that's um, basically because of you. Another thing that's that's not part of karma is is the weather and how it affects us. Or even if you carry that a little bit further, you know, like, you know, these, you know, whether it's tsunamis or earthquakes or, you know, fires, you know, it's, it's people die many times. A lot of people die. 1,200 people may die in an earthquake or tsunami. And, and then sometimes people think, well, did all those people have the karma that they should die at this point? And they, um, you know, and, and no, I don't think so. And, um, and the Buddha said the weather is something that 
is also plays a big part in how we um, how we experience life or the things that happen to us, but it's not because of our actions. Sometimes we just get, you might say, almost accidentally caught up in something that's bigger and and things happen. I mean, we could say that, you know, being being a human being, we're just subject to different kinds of um, experiences and that those, um, you know, cre create some kind of outcome in our life, but it's not related to past actions. Another, another thing that the Buddha listed was carelessness. Like we could, you know, just not be paying attention and slip in the bathtub. And that doesn't mean that we did some bad thing to cause that. Um, we're just not all mindful all the time. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, that's just the normal way that we are as human beings. Sometimes we just lose track. We're not paying attention of, to something and, or for whatever other reason, we lose our balance or something else, some other kind of kind of accident can happen because we're just not able to, to see. Now, having said that, sometimes things are because of past actions. And certainly the Buddha wanted us to realize that if we do things like, you know, break the five precepts, um, killing living beings, for example, you know, then um, he said there, there will be results for, for these things in the future, either in this life or a future life. And there's a way in which people sometimes distort this a little bit because um, one of the, you know, there's a sutta that says that if you kill living beings, then in the, you, at some point, whether it's this life or a later life, um, the result could be dying young. So then somebody thinks, oh, if someone dies young, then it's because they must have killed living beings in the past. But that's not what it means. That's not, that's the kind of backwards way of thinking about it, but it doesn't mean that. There can be many reasons why our life might end at any point that has nothing to do with killing living beings. It's just that there are certain things that we may do that will create a certain result. That doesn't mean if we, if we experience that re result or that kind of experience that it's actually from having done such things. I hope that makes sense. One thing that I, I think is, you know, maybe you already experienced this. I mean, certainly we can all experience the actions of karma in our normal daily life. You know, if you're, if you feel like you want to do something kind for someone and you do it and the way it makes you feel, I mean, I doubt if you ever feel bad about it, it's like you feel good. And that is karma, you know, that good feeling. So, you know, and when we do something that's harsh or, you know, we, we, we feel the results of that. And maybe even the people involved will treat us a little bit differently. And, and that certainly is the result of our action. 
So we can witness this. We don't have to necessarily think about what might have happened in past lives or whatever. You can really verify for yourself that there are results of our good and bad actions, as the Buddha talked about often. And so, of course, he's encouraging us to you know, be skillful and, and learn and, and train ourselves to you know, be wholesome and do the good things. But there's another part of this that I think is useful, and it, I'm going to talk about it. Um, some of the talks given by some of the teachers I really respect, the uh, monks, have, have talked about, this is particularly Ajahn Brahm and Ajahn Brahmali. They've been, you know, I've heard a number of times them saying things like, you know, like we really are doing things most of the time on automatic pilot, like you know, we're just um, being kind of motivated by our patterns. You could say that's our karmic patterns. And at first, when I was hearing this, actually, someone who comes to our, our teachings asked me, well, if they're saying that, do I want to listen to this teacher anymore? Because it seems to go fly in the face of the things that the Buddha said. And I don't think that they mean it that way. It's more like um, if we're not aware, we can often just follow a track that has been laid down in our consciousness, perhaps even over lifetimes. And we're not really aware that that's what's happening. Like we may think we're making the choices but we're actually just choosing again in alignment with what we're used to. And um, one example that I have from my own life is, you know, feeling quite happy with the way that I um, kind of helped my children out as they were growing into adulthood, trying to, because I was, I was um, working and, um, and helping them with college and things like that. And it, and I felt like, wow, this is, this is um, something that I'm choosing to do that I feel good about. And I still felt good about it after reflecting on it, but I realized, you know, that's exactly what my parents did. I don't think it was so originally, you know, sort of my, um, my, my, um, sort of initiative necessarily. It was following the, the track. And oftentimes I saw that as a mother that I would respond the way my parents had responded. And, and it's, it's not like there's anything wrong with that unless of course their responses were particularly unskillful. And of course there, there was some of that and they did try to change that. And that's exactly what we need to do. Just kind of really pay attention to what we are doing and and why. And there are some kinds of things that are karmic that, well, let me, I'll just uh, say one more thing about this idea that we're maybe on automatic pilot a lot or um, just following the, the way our stream of consciousness has been going is that, uh, of course, Ajahn Brahm and Ajahn Brahmali and anyone else who talks about this idea that we're often just, you know, caught up in 
um, these these formations that have been laid down for for a long period of time is that they're also constantly teaching us how to train the mind. And so clearly they don't believe that this is just inevitable or fatalistic. It's, it's really about kind of snapping into a real presence and awareness of what we're doing and how we're thinking and what we're saying and to really work with it. A lot of times we have to go against the grain of our past karma. And that's exactly what we need to do because it sets up the, the, the future. And sometimes it can be quite difficult and it can be, um, you know, we can maybe notice strong patterns, not even things that we necessarily did. Um, and I'll try to give you an example. Like I've noticed um, people have certain kinds of karma with certain things. Like I know someone who has, you may laugh, I don't know, great parking karma. Like they go places and nine times out of 10, they drive right up to where they need to be and there's an open space and they park. And I mean, it happens so much that it's like, okay, there's something going on. <laughs> and when I was in England training, um, as I was in Anagarka, one of my jobs was to drive people, drive particularly the nuns because they need a female driver. And that was part of what I offered at the monastery. And I would drive the nuns to their teachings and to the doctor and to all different kinds of places they needed to go. And there was one nun, um, when I would drive her places, it was so difficult to get her to where she wanted to go. And there, different things happened to kind of derail the whole process, um, you know, like, it was all well set up. Like the office manager would give me the address, the location, the directions, and, you know, and it was, it was all clear, but then they'd be wrong. And I couldn't like find, it took a while to find where we had to go. So I thought, okay, I'm going to like, not just rely on the directions I'm given, but I'll look it up on Google maps and I'll, you know, so then we go, and Google Maps gives me the wrong directions, <laughs> lands me in the wrong at the wrong address. So this happened like three, four, five times, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what, <laughs> what is this? This wasn't happening with anyone else. I was driving places, and I mentioned it to a monk. Now, this was a, a nun who had lived there for many years, and this monk had also lived there for many years, and he said, oh, yeah, that's her. And I'm like, wow. So when I would drive her, I would work really hard, check everything two, three, four times, make sure I knew where I was going, what to do, um, plan everything. Um, I mean, there were other other ways that it went wrong. So I'd try to like cover all the bases. And it just felt like really pushing against some very firm force but it was possible to make it work 
And it sounds like a, a, a funny example, but we can notice this in our lives. There might be some things that just feel really difficult that we may think shouldn't be. And there might be some, you know, kind of karmic thread there that's, that's in playing in. Now, I think it's useful and important for us to realize that we can't really take responsibility for whatever this consciousness was doing in past lives. This is kind of like what we've, what we've been handed, what we have now. You know, so it's, it's, I think it's a, um, an unfortunate mistake to think, oh, I'm this way, my body's this way, or my mind's this way, or my life is this way, you know, from some past thing, and it probably is, but how can you take responsibility for that? It's like, it's just how it is. And, you know, it's, it's important also to see other people that way. People act in ways that we may not like at all. They do harmful things or unskillful things. But if we realize that they're probably really pulled along by a, a force of, of karma that they haven't kind of become aware of and realize that they can make changes, and I think it's easier to forgive them. And um, it's, it's, it's something that's useful to tune into, especially, um, you know, if we, if we have a tendency to beat up on ourselves. I don't know if you've ever had a situation where you find yourself acting in a way you don't really want to be acting. I certainly have. And sometimes the, it changes even, even in a situation where things have gone pretty well and, and people are congenial. And then for some reason, something shifts. And I think it really is about, often is really about karma and, and not to blame ourselves too much, but if we find ourselves in such a situation, we try to extract ourselves from it if we can. Um, and, it, you know, when I, I mean, it's almost like I'm watching myself say and do things that I, that I really don't approve of. I know this sounds weird, um, but then, then pull myself out of it and see, remove myself from the situation and look more deeply into what's going on. And, and generally in those cases, I can find, um, you know, some root of that pattern or at least an understanding that that pattern came somewhere in the past. And then once we're aware, then we can really take steps to change it. And, you know, of course, the Buddha gives us many teachings about that. And it's good to think about how regardless of whatever has happened before, or whatever is arising in the present moment, we always have options. There's always something we can do if we pay attention, if, we're, if our mindfulness is strong enough to make us aware. And if we're following old patterns that are skillful, hooray. 
<laughs> and this life can be about creating new patterns that are skillful and putting ourselves in situations where the conditioning is skillful. So I think that's what I wanted to say. And um, I think you all have some, some really good karma and have made some really good choices because you're practicing the Dhamma. So this is a wonderful thing. Yes, Neil? Um, so two questions have come up in my mind. Um, my understanding of the meaning of the word karma, karma, is action. And I understand that there is another word for, to refer to the results of action, but you never hear that word much, so I don't remember what it is. Um, so I guess... Vipaka. That's Vipaka? Vipaka karma. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's sometimes it gets a little confusing because people talk about karma as if it's referring to what's happened to you is your karma, but it isn't really, as I understand it. It's a result of karma or it's due to karma. Um, so, I don't know that that's so much a question. I guess I'm just saying that sometimes the way it's used, I mean, even a couple of times the way you used it, although more often than not, you, you tend to say, you know, this is from comma or due to comma, but I just wonder if there's some way to confusion. But my second question, and again, not a question, but I wonder if, if it would be from what you were saying early on until you got to the anecdote about the nun who had the bad parking comma, <laughs> I was thinking that it seemed to me that it might be safe to say that what happens to you is not necessarily a result of comma but how you react to what happens to you may be a result of karma. In other words, the external things that are not in your control are not necessarily due to karma, whereas what your mind does, what your chitta does, is probably related to karma. Does that make sense? Is that... Well, the way I think of it, and... And when I told that story is, I think that when we have some kind of strong tendency and it has come from some kind of conditioning, but it could be conditioning long in the past, not something we've been choosing. And it's still, it's still um, a result of past kinds of experience but it's it's maybe way before this lifetime and so it what you're saying is important because where we should put our attention is on what we do with the experience we're having now and that's where we have the 
the choice. And that's where, that's why paying attention and really evaluating what we're doing, um, not in a, not in a, a critical way that, that, you know, kind of, um, not to beat ourselves up in any way, but to be aware and and to make good choices about what to do with what we've got at the moment, got going on at the moment. And, and it is useful to look at, well, how is my be- behavior that I recall that I've, I've actually done in this lifetime had an effect on that because then we can change it. So we do wanna be aware, but, um, but yes, exactly. And, and my point of saying that sometimes we've got this really strong kind of, I don't know, kind of pattern or push or some conditioning from the past has caused something. It's kind of like we can, we can acknowledge that, yeah, this is what happens um, to me. And it's up to me to know how to respond to that, how to deal with that, how to mitigate that, you know, and and that it's okay. It's not something to feel bad about or to um, to be concerned about. Just knowing that this karmic stream, this con- stream of consciousness that's been passing through lifetimes has picked up a lot of stuff. And it's up to us to kind of work, work with what comes up. I also know someone who just um, has the um, what do I want to say? Um, things just seem to break <laughs> in their possession, <laughs> or you know, get stained, or something. You know, just kind of like and and this person has, you know, kind of acknowledged that they can't have nice things. It's me guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and, and she, she rarely has it happen when she's using anybody else's things, but if she's got her own things, they just, (laughs) There's no one buy me nice things, okay? <laughs> I, I have something like that with um, if there's something that could be tripped over, I will trip over it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and so you know we can learn this about ourselves. Um, the same person that I know who has the great parking karma has terrible karma with electronics. They just get destroyed. <laughs> know how <laughs> and it's just like oh okay this is just kind of what I came in with you're you're the one with the great parking karma you realize that right oh no 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 this person this person that I know is like Olympic class I am not because <laughs> every time I've taken you somewhere we find um, stuff immediately <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Val? I've been really glad to hear this topic. Um, I have at work really bad mechanical karma, I guess I would call it. My work, I'm a stagehand for folks that don't know. And I work routinely with 
hand tools and power tools and nuts and bolts and clamps and all sorts of strange things. And I'm always the person on a given crew that finds the one thing that doesn't work. And the first few years that it happened, I thought it was just because I'm small. Um, I don't have the strongest hands. And I would turn to the nearest big guy and be like, oh, could you break this nut and bolt for me? And he'd try and try and try, and then they'd go get the bigger tool. And I've seen this happen over and over in my life. I've worked with crews that have gone on tour all over the world. And they'll be like, well, this has never happened before, <laughs> you know? And they've had to like cut things apart and it's like, so it took me a long time to realize, oh, this is not me. I mean, it is my karma. It's something that goes along with me in my life, but it isn't a reflection of like my strength or my knowledge. And now I just kind of get a laugh at it when I ask someone to help me and they're like, oh, well, you just, you just aren't strong enough or you just don't know how it works. And it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so then I'm laughing in my head as they go run to get the giant power tool. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so now I can just say it's my karma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and as Neil pointed out, it's, it, we want to be careful about saying, oh, this is my karma or getting into that mindset that everything that happens to us is karma because it isn't. And we don't want to, you know, but, but to really appreciate that some things are just kind of patterns in our karmic stream or our consciousness stream and, um, and, and to make peace with it. Holly. I have a very basic question that I have come back to several times over the years. I'd like to hear your two bits. When look at the Four Noble Truths, the third one seems redundant with the fourth, and I don't really know why the Buddha mm. teased that out. The truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the end of suffering, and the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. Well, if the path leads to... When I recite it in my mind, I'm like, then I'll often find myself skipping over that, the truth of the end of suffering, and I just go, and mm. the truth of the path that leads to the end of suffering. Why do you suppose he teased out that third noble? Well, I, I think it's pretty essential, really. And... Um... You know, it's it's because we should realize that the cessation of things, which is something we pass over a lot in our life. You know, we're, we're sick and then we feel better and we don't even kind of realize when it ended. Um, we're we're a, a bit we're a bit um, kind of out to lunch on the on the endings of things. And and it's important because there is a cessation. And when we realize that cessation, we might have a really, a real understanding of that whole process. 
Now the path leading to it is the path, the work, the places we need to put our attention in order to um, continue on this positive track that we're on. And so I really do see them as different things. And, and part of the cessation of suffering is in some way changing our, our pattern, changing our, um, our karmic pattern, if you will. So I, 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 do, I do see the importance of that. I, I get what you mean, I think, but the path leading to something isn't the something. And the something is important especially as we reflect upon it. And in these individual instances of applying the Four Noble Truths, and we see, you know, like, maybe we suffer with anger or something like that. And, and then when we work with a particular episode and we really look look at the cause and we really feel that feeling we've turned towards it and we feel the feeling we look at the cause and the feeling goes away and we feel that cessation that relief that's an important thing to notice the fact that there are maybe things in the noble eightfold path that we do to get to that point it's also important but it's <clears throat> it's having that that awareness um, it's important. Thank you, Holly. Linda? Um, so I want to go back to the meditation today. And first I'm going to say that um, I often come up with a question and then I think about it in my mind and I kind of answer it for myself and then I never ask the question. Um, but even though I kind of went through that today, I think I still want to ask it today. Um, and it, to me, when we do, we're, when you were doing the body meditation, um, there are parts of that where, you know, where the parts of the body, you know, I can have some sense of them or some or feeling, but but a lot of them take the you know liver things like that. It, it seems like it's it's mostly just like kind of visualization, mm-hmm. and um, and I kind of have the same. I, I I have just a general resistance to visualization. I, a lot of meta meditations have that in it, and it's it's just. Um, I think my yeah the resistance co- comes from the fact that I think that it, that it's like it's just all in my head you know I'm I'm imagining it you know and that's not what meditation's supposed to be um so so I you know I I often um am a little bit uncomfortable when I when I've been uh, guided through those kinds of things and yet today I noticed that when you when it was quiet then, how settling it had been for me. Um, and and I thought and so that in itself has some benefit. Um, but I, I just wondered what 
kind of what the purpose, if you want to say, of of that type of meditation is. Yeah, and I see it having, <clears throat> excuse me, I see it having a few different purposes. And one of them is to bring relaxation, bring, bring us into a state of much more calm and um, tranquility. And so that's one, one thing that makes it useful. Um, there are great meditation masters who really focus on body contemplation. And they use it for wisdom practice as well as samadhi practice um, to really, as we observe our body, we can really learn about impermanence. Uh, we can really learn about dukkha. And we can also really learn about non-self. So it's, it's partly, I mean, the fact that it's, the fact that you're having to imagine is okay i mean what we imagine still has um, a very strong impact on the mind and the mind is what we really want to condition in a positive way and so you know, bringing our attention to some part of the body. And this it happens in places where they really do a lot of body, um, body contemplation and practice with the body. Uh, someone will, you know, just be really paying attention to their right thigh, for example. And um, and and to and and then the meditation goes deep and it they can actually, um, you might say, see what's going on inside. And I, I've heard this from practitioners that they really can, it, it, it's almost like a psychic kind of experience of, of seeing the inside of the body. Now that's not the, that's not the intended goal, um, but it's, it's more about really appreciating the cessation, um, the change. Uh, and, and we didn't really do that today. I think today it was more just a, an opportunity to kind of just go through the body, maybe bring a little more friendliness to it, um, appreciation for those parts. And I know that I, I uh, have really enjoyed in the past some guided meditations, especially Bhante Analia, uh, guiding through the body parts. And he chooses the, the skin, the flesh, and the bones because those are the parts that were really, um, you can really find the, um, the commonality across traditions around those, and it simplifies the whole thing. So. I was just off-roading a little bit with all the organs and stuff. But, you know, just, just to kind of also give you the idea that you can guide your own meditation and you can, you can use what works for you, what helps your mind settle, what helps you deal with what's happening in the moment. Like we've been talking about, you know, if, if you have some, some discomfort in an area of your body or you're, you know, um, 
your your liver isn't doing so well or something's happening, then you can really like bring some attention there and actually use that as a way to become still and also as a way to kind of support your, your own system. Thank you. Carrie? Yeah, I wanted to follow up a little bit on what Linda said, um, too. Um, uh, recently, I've begun, it's kind of started with doing an elements meditation. But now when I do like a body scan, I'm really trying to visualize. Um, I usually do it mostly with the bones, um, but really visualize the 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 I want to say dead body, but it sounds a little bit macabre, but really like the essential, what is a skull, not in my body, what is a bone? And I've had a lot of anatomy, so I can really picture, you know, the whole body system. And um, I'm finding that helpful. And today I, you know, I, I like the flesh, it was, you know, are my thighs like dark meat, like chicken, you know, I mean, really like just meat, <laughs> you know, seriously, like meat yeah. and skin, my skin now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, have old lady skin. You know, it's dry. It's like parchment. I mean, really like separating it from that sense of self and yeah. and thinking about, you know, really what it, how it's composed, how it's going to decompose. Um, but there is a little bit of a, a strange qu quality as I do that, you know, like the imagining myself as a, as a dead body, essentially. So I'm I'm curious about your, I know that sort of Satipatthana is kind of like that, but I'm curious about your thoughts on whether that is um, a wholesome practice or not. Well, you're certainly, it seems like you're really using it as a wholesome practice. Um, and I think that's good. I mean, I think it's a good way to really tune into aging and death. And we should prepare for that. It's coming. <laughs> it's good to it's good to prepare and and really to really take in the fact that this isn't me. This isn't this isn't a self. It's just borrowed goods and it's deteriorating and it's okay. Nothing to worry about. It's just the way it is. And to really get that. Um, you know, um, that's really a great insight to, to really take in at a deep level. And the Buddha said, everything we need to know, we can learn in this fathom long body. Everything we need to know, we can learn in this body. And I think he's, he's talking about the, the body itself and how feeling arises in the body and how those feelings, uh, those kind of spiritual feelings um, help us to become really still. And, you know, there's the wisdom that we develop can, can be found right here. So now I think it sounds like it's a good practice for you, but it wouldn't be a good practice for everyone. Mm -hmm. It depends on a lot of different factors, I think. But sometimes these kinds of practices make people depressed or afraid. And then they should 
you know, use more other practices that the Buddha that the Buddha taught. Um, you know, the Brahma Viharas or you know, something that gives them a chance to become more stable and rooted and um, and happy. Mm. So I see you smiling when you talk about it. And and you know, we should be happy in our practice and in our lives and look at why we might not be and um, and see what we might do about that because we really are uh, walking this beautiful path and we have this opportunity for freedom from all suffering. And, um, you know, when we really see that the true nature of everything is to fall apart, then we can be quite relieved and happy. Thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> Karen? Um, yeah, I think you kind of got at that question um, that I have, because at some point you were talking about, as we're reflecting on the body, we're learning about no self and um, like, so I guess my question is, wouldn't you, if you're reflecting on your body, how, how is that no self? Like, because it seems like your body would be yourself. Nope. Like, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> well, the, the Buddha kind of guides us to really appreciate that any of the things that we can identify as what we think we are really are not. Um, and the truth is there is no abiding self. Um, it's just process. So it's a matter of abiding. It's the matter of being, staying the same. And the body well, doesn't stay the same. It changes. Well, and it's going to completely deteriorate. It's going to fall away. And that's, that's not a, a self. So the, the concept of self, I mean, there's the conventional concept of self where the Buddha says, be an island unto yourself. Um, you're, you have you that that conventional self has the responsibility for your actions. And so he talks about the self in that way. But when he talks about like the, the more, um, oh, what do I want to say? Um, beyond the conventional. Um, that is really like, there's no sort of soul that's going to continue and go forever. There's, there's no, um, you know, eternalism, he really made clear, it's not about eternalism, it's not about nihilism, it, it's not like we're going to end, and it's not like we're going to keep going forever, there's no we, it's process, it's just a whole conglomeration of things that are unfolding, moving forward as a process, or you could think of it as any number of processes, and this is really what we're talking about, you know, not, not being able to, you know, having, having some kind of thing that just happens to us over and over again. 
it's just, it's part of a process that got, you know, put in place and, and conditioned and shaped over eons, really. And then what the Buddha is offering us is the insight that helps us realize that we can bring all that process to a final conclusion. There is a way out of suffering. And that that means the process becomes cool or silent. Stops. Not through death, but through the deathless, the realization of Nibbana. A complete freedom from craving, a complete freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. Because what drives this process is craving. We want something. And that's what causes our suffering. We want something that we can't get. We want, you know, happiness. And who, we can put a, a hundred labels on it. But um, it doesn't work. And the more we realize, the happier we become. The more we realize, the more relaxed we become. And the more whatever happens in the world is okay, but it's not indifference. There's tremendous compassion and, and love and equanimity and appreciation for everything that's good. So that's, that's the ball of wax, Karen. <laughs> so if you... Um... So we talk about, we keep coming back, but there's no self. So what comes back? The perennial question. What does indeed come back? It's, it's the, the stream of the past action and the, the conditioning that's happened. It's kind of like if you have a computer and you keep giving inputs to it, um, if that if that kind of um, experience were just to travel through, you know, um, lifetime and lifetime and lifetime and lifetime, then it's a it's a karmic pattern. You know, one way to answer that question, um, the Dalai Lama said, "Your bad habits. That's what gets reborn." Fortunately, it's also our good habits and <laughs> other things, that, you know, that have gone into the soup. But it's that it's that processed soup that gets reborn. And so when the Buddha said he remembered his past lives, he was speaking, he would say that that's a conventional level of speaking. You have to be able to talk to people. Um, you know, we have to have a way to express it. But that's not a that's not buying into an idea that there is an abiding, lasting, forever me. Um, and, you know, having a me is a real pain. <laughs> it's really, it's really the basis of our suffering. So we just. Yeah. I was sort of using this when I was applying for jobs. I was like, who? who is this applying for this job? I don't have to be all worked up about it because there, you know, there's yeah. no self applying for this job. So I don't have to be upset about it because they can't make any judgment. Yeah, that's, 
That's one of the positive results is to realize we don't really have to take ourselves quite so seriously. And that's kind of the point. We don't have to take other people quite so seriously either in the fact that they do things that may, may run the whole gamut from great to outrageous. And, you know, it's, it's like, you know, just understanding them, caring about them, forgiving them, caring about ourselves, forgiving ourselves and recognizing that there is some kind of, you know, impetus, some kind of push that, that causes people to, to, to behave. Thank you, Kiri. See ya. Thank you, Karen. Lisa? Oh, I had so many thoughts. <laughs> other thoughts come up um, based on what you were saying and what a couple of other people were saying. But originally, I wanted to just say that uh, about the body scan that I um, I really appreciated that. And I um, really liked it. Um, for me, it's a, it's a very different experience doing that because I am able to bring so much more awareness to my body. And, um, when it gets to the part, um, where we're looking for pleasant feelings or, um, joy and attempting to, um, to expand that, um, I, I usually feel it just in my head if I feel like light and um, pleasant sensations um, or maybe from like here up. <laughs> and um, it's, but after the body scan, I was able to have a much more visceral feeling, like especially in my chest area. And um, it was, um, it, it's, rather tumultuous I think I'm not really able at this point for some reason to get to a, a calm equanimity but um it's very sort of bittersweet joy which is very um enjoyable too good good thank you Lisa I know we're way over time and it's it's fine with me. I want to hear from Paula and then, but you're, you're free to uh, drop off if you need to go to go ahead, Paula. Um, yeah, I was kind of hesitant to say something cause I know we're past time, but sometimes you go longer. So my question is, um, <clears throat> I guess it's, I've had a shift and I always like, let the question that uh, Karen asked like what goes on you know I used to think that way but now I'm thinking well if you're liberated what doesn't go on if you are awakened what happens that's the question what happens to that stream that cheetah that like, is there just a little bit less out there that's unawakened? <laughs> in the, in the, I mean, there, there, this, there just doesn't, I, I just, it just occurred to me, mm -hmm. that whole thing. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the Buddha said that it's the highest happiness and 
that craving is gone. There's nothing to push the the process anymore. It's kind of like the process has wound down <laughs> or dropped off or something like that. And the Buddha said that, you know, like, um, you know, the, this kind of idea of the, that Mara can't find that, that consciousness anymore because it's, it's just completely still. So that, that, that makes sense that it would become the deathless mm-hmm. or, and you can't really quite visualize or comprehend that anyway. Yeah. But maybe it's in that territory. It's to be experienced directly. Mm-hmm. So go for it. <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you, Paula. Okay, everyone. It's been really wonderful to spend this time with you. And I hope you have a great, great day and week and life and everything. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.